Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always so encouraged to know and learn of the ways how God is using this ministry to work in the lives of others. If you have a story about how this ministry has touched your life or how God is working in your life right now, we ask that you let us know and send us an email at amen at yourepicenter.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you may do so online so that we can continue to bring you messages just like this one every week. Today's message is from Lead Pastor Mark Knight, and our hope is that you are truly encouraged by today's message along your journey. Good morning. Um, Take your Bibles out with me and turn to Daniel chapter 3. No. You can do a little better than that. So I want to ask you again to take your Bibles out and turn to Daniel chapter 3. That was a little better, but maybe you're asleep. But, but I can assure you, you're, you're going to wake up during this message today because God has something for you. Um, here we are in week number 3 of this series, Re. Um, if you haven't been here, I'll explain a little bit about the concept in a few minutes, but um, today, I, I just want to tag team this message with um, my wife, my lovely wife. She told me not to say this, but my hot wife. Um, if you were here Friday night, let me just say something. She brought the house down. Not this. Not this. And so, if I get choked up here... She's just awesome. And um, so as I'm listening to her preach, I had this thought earlier last week. I said, baby, why don't you just, you've already kind of preached this message. Why don't you preach it on Sunday morning? Because she sat down in front of me and she preached the message to me. And I said, man, you you need to preach this message on Sunday morning. She's like, I don't think so. And so I I thought, baby, you have to. And so when I heard it on Friday night, I said, oh, my goodness you, you've got to but but instead of you preaching the whole message I, I just want you to preach one part of your message it, it's like this part that was in the middle that was probably the most important part um are you ready to hear that are you ready well, maybe i need just to sit down and or something i don't know watch yourself um you're not ready for it so i gotta set this thing up so so here's the deal. Um, here's the subtitle of today's message. It, there's a typo in your worship, guys. But the subtitle is 90-foot problems and the fire that goes with them. 90-foot problems and the fire that goes with them. How many of you have ever felt like you've got a problem in your life that's like 90 foot tall? It's like insurmountable. It's overcomable or overwhelming you you cannot overcome it i should say so so you look at this problem and, and you're so overwhelmed by this problem that you think the best thing for me to do is just ignore this problem and the more that you ignore the problem the greater the problem becomes and you turn around and that thing how many of you have a thing it's staring you in the face And it's becoming bigger and you're shrinking in size because the problem becomes too much for you to bear 
let's just become a little transparent here this morning. Sometimes even in your problem, you begin to look around at life and you see others that seem like they have everything together, but yet your life's falling apart. Have you ever been there? Hello? problem i don't want to define for you what the problem is because you know your problem better than i know your problem obviously but but i do want this thought to resonate with you sometimes the problem may be that you have brokenness in in one area of your life maybe it's a relationship and that brokenness is so overwhelming that that the thoughts of brokenness begin to permeate their way into every nook and cranny of your life so that there's so many other things that are now broken because of this one broken piece that now has begun to cause other broken pieces and the problem becomes 90 foot tall or maybe it's because you don't like a job and tomorrow morning you're thinking I got to go to a job that I cannot stand I hate this job and I don't want this job and when you go to this job you don't even make enough money to pay your bills in this job and so you're even more overwhelmed maybe you've been working on a marriage and it seems like I don't need to work on this marriage anymore because I, I whatever I do it just gets worse and uh, and so you're more and more and more overwhelmed and, and the problem becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and you're dragging this thing around trying to make heads of life and you can't make heads or, or tails of life because the problem is staring you in the face and then you begin to change your vocabulary and you begin to say things that acquiesce or take identity with your problem like maybe I deserve this maybe I'm not everything that I, I, I thought thought that I was maybe God do, doesn't hear my cry maybe I, I'm worthless because I've made so many mistakes in the past maybe I maybe I should scale back this vision that God gave me because the vision seems to be too big that I can't accomplish this thing and God doesn't seem to be moving and I'm not sure that God hears my cry so I don't know what I need to do and all of a sudden these thoughts begin to bombard you and the enemy begins to overwhelm you with these thoughts of negativity and and failure and insecurity and fear and intimidation and manipulation and all of a sudden stress acquiesces with your life am I preaching to anyone in here so Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. I've got to take you there before I take you back to the main narrative because this will establish where we're going. But, but turn there. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Just hold your finger in Daniel. Put it up on the screens for me in the back. Also, I'm going to ask you to do something that I normally wouldn't do, but I need you to put some time up for me because I don't want to take too much time. I want to give Kim plenty of time, so the time's not on the bottom. You don't hear preachers say take less time. So just give me something to work with. So... so the last few weeks we've been talking about the words that have the prefix re that God uses in the Bible. Today is, is really no different. We're going to look at a re word. We're just going to use a little different methodology, if you will. This, this word is going, to, is going to be profound. It's going to shake you up. But, but I, I want you to see the significance of this word before we get there. You see, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. He begins to outline the strategies that the enemy uses to attack us, while at the same time highlighting the responsibilities that we have as a Christ follower. And so he says this, and I'm going to read this off the back wall. It says in verse 4, he says, The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. All right, we're not fighting with the weapons like we would envision. We're fighting with something different, and, and it's spiritual weapons. But he says it's, it gives us the power to, de- to demolish strongholds. Circle that word strongholds. That word strongholds actually means prison. 
What Paul is saying is that you can have thoughts in your mind that are not godly thoughts and those thoughts will turn into something more and they'll grow and one thought will become two and two will become three and three will become four and pretty soon you'll have a stronghold or you'll have a prison in your mind and you will be held hostage because of the prison. That's what he's saying. Have you ever met a person who used to be positive in nature but now they're negative in nature? How many of you know someone who's negative? Listen, we're not born that way. What's happened is thoughts become overwhelming until it begins to control our thought process. But then Paul says this in verse 5. He says, we demolish those arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So if it, I know this is not proper grammar, but if it ain't God, then don't let your brain be occupied by that thought. I mean, it's really simple when you think about it. But, but what he's saying without saying it is he's, he's saying, and this is our reword for today, refuse. Touch your neighbor and say refuse. He's saying refuse to allow the enemy to have control of your thoughts. Mm. Now, hold on a second because this is where it gets deep. He's saying if you continue to have the wrong thoughts that are ungodly thoughts, pretty soon they'll become so overwhelming that you will begin to bow down to your 90-foot problem. And if you bow down to a 90-foot problem, what is the symbolic representation, if you will, of bowing down? It's worship. The definition of worship is ascribing worth or value to something. So if you bow down to your problem because you're constantly thinking about it, what you're doing is saying, my problem is bigger than my God. Hello. And that's why he said, you've got to remind the enemy when he comes against your thoughts. No, no, no. Hold on a second because you need to remember who I serve. So the concept is, Refuse to allow the enemy to have control of your thoughts. This is easier said than done. Refuse to allow the enemy to have control of your thoughts. Let me take you to one other place. Luke chapter 4. Turn there. you got to see this. I'm going to turn this over to Kim in a second, but you got to see this. You ready to hear what she has to say? No, you're not. So let me set this up further. Okay, so Luke chapter 4, you have Jesus. Jesus is, is in the desert. He's been fasting. He's been praying. He, he's been seeking God. He's about to start his ministry. And I love this passage because there is this juxtaposition that takes place in this passage that that one day I I, want to preach an entire series on this passage because it's so theologically profound but yet so relevant at the same time. But what you have is the enemy trying to convince Jesus that there is a problem. How many of you know the enemy will do that? You may not even have a problem with someone and you see them in the office and all of a sudden they don't speak to you with as much enthusiasm as you thought and you're like, oh Lord, there's a problem. You know what I'm talking about. Let me show you something. Look in verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I love that. Where is he at? He's in the desert. He's in the wilderness. Keep that in mind. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So he's fasting and he's praying for 40 days. But grab this. Where is he at? He's where? In the desert. But what has he been doing? praying he's about to be tempted by satan the enemy is about to bombard his thoughts and he's in the desert he's in the low part of his life what does that tell you the enemy will will attack you in the low part of your life 
but he's also been praying. What does that tell you? He'll also attack your prayer life. Hello? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. <laughs> Look at the next verse. It says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, hang on a second. I, I, you've got to see this language. If you are the son of God. He says, if you are. He begins to call into question whether or not Jesus is the son of God. What is he trying to do? The devil knows he's the son of God, but what he's trying to do is convince Jesus, if you are the son of God. He's trying to take the pain that Jesus is experiencing from the desert, the hunger, and use it against him. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. That's not the way the devil talks. You know that, right? The devil's a weasel. So it's more like, if you are the son of God. And he's from the south. So. <laughs> you know what he's doing? He's strategizing against, the in, or against Jesus. He's using his pain against him because he's saying, if you are the son of God, then why are you experiencing this depravity in your life? If you are the Messiah, then why is it that God in his greatness is allowing you to suffer pain? If you are a Christ follower, why is it so tough? Can, can I tell you what the enemy is doing? The enemy is using a legitimate problem in hopes that Jesus will attack the legitimate problem in an illegitimate way. Mm, that's pretty good. You, you give that some thought and maybe later on today it'll come to you. So, so let me show you something. Look at verses 4 and beyond. Verse 4 says, Jesus answered, it is written. So here's the enemy, the first attack. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Verse 5, it is written, he, he makes reference to God, he makes reference to his word. Verse 5 says, the devil led him up to a high place. He's attacking him the second time. He led him up to a high place and he showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give all of their authority and splendor and it has been given to me and I, I can give it to you and to anyone I want to. I can make promises to you and if you'll only bow down, hold on a second, if you'll only bow down, hold, here's this 90 foot problem, if you'll only bow down and worship me, it will be yours. Oh my goodness, think about this. What is he doing? He is now strategizing against Jesus by making him promises that he cannot fulfill. Is that not what the enemy does? In your own life, he says, why don't you just give up on that marriage because you can walk away? You've tried, and guess what? You'll find somebody better. Why don't you stop trying to work on that relationship because they placed you in this position where you'll never meet up to their standards. So just walk away. It will be better. How many of you know the enemy does do things like that? Okay, but, but then look at the response of Jesus again in verse 8. Jesus answered, it is written. The second time when the enemy comes to attack, he says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Oh, wow. Verses 9 and following, it says, the devil led him to Jerusalem and he had to stand on the highest point of the temple. And if you are the son of God, he said, then throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning. He knows the word too. Concerning to guard you carefully and they will lift you up and... In their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. When I read this, I had this thought. He's attacked Jesus three times now. 
And so my thought was, whatever is intimidating you is intimidated by the power of Jesus in you. Grab that. Whatever is intimidating you in life is intimidated by the power of Jesus in you. Hello? In fact, I added this caveat this morning. Whatever is intimidating you is intimidated by the power of Jesus in you. And if you do not bow, you have the ability to overcome. Mm. Hello. Thank you, baby, for that. Get a high five from someone. Oh. So here is, here is Jesus tempted three times, and all three times he makes reference to God. What, what is he showing us? And I know I'm saying a lot, but I, I, I'm really setting up. You ready to hear what she has to say? You're getting there. All right. He makes reference to Jesus three times. He says, he, or, or to God three times. He says, it is written, it is written. What he's trying to show us is, number one, you cannot overcome your 90-foot problem on your own. Don't become so self-reliant that in your problem you think I can handle this. He's bringing it to God. You see, can I be honest with you? Some of you sometimes think that you've brought something to God, but you've really only brought it to church. Let me get up in your business for a minute. Some of you, sometimes you you say that you've prayed about something, but the truth is you've only worried about it and called it prayer. Good Lord, that was pretty good. Huh. Wow. But, but Jesus says in verse 12, put verse 12 back up for me. Verse 12, verse 12. Look what he says. He says, but Jesus answered. This is the last time he says to the enemy, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I may be in a problem situation, but my God is greater still. I may have pain, but he shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I will be an overcomer. So I will not bow down to you, but rather I'm going to praise my God who defines my destiny. Come on, somebody. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You, you did good. Now, now, let me take you quickly somewhere else, and then I'm going to give this to my wife. All right, Daniel chapter 4. How does this concept work in Daniel? Daniel chapter 3. To flip there. Daniel 3, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who've been hanging out in the background for the last three chapters. They're friends of Daniel. They've just been hanging out there, you know, and now all of a sudden they have this problem, this huge problem that is overwhelming, it's, it's taxing, it's stressing, it's, it's, it's a 90-foot problem. Nebuchadnezzar, the king who we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, he erects this statue of himself, and then he issues this decree. I want you to read this beginning in verse 1. Let me read this to you. Verse 1 says this. It says... Chapter 3, verse 1. Baby, I didn't want you to look at my backside. Hang on a second. Let me come over here. Sorry. Um, It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Watch this. 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Hence the subtitle, 90 foot problems. Wow. Wow. Look what unfolds in verses 2 and following. It says, Then he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. Come to my party in honor of me. Verse 3, So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This! 
this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Sounds crazy. This nutty king has set up this 90-foot image of himself, and he's asking everyone in the land to bow down and worship. When the music begins to play, he's got Justin Bieber over here. He's got Taylor Swift over here. He's broadcasting this music all across the country, and he says, when the music starts to play, I want you just to bow down and worship me. Some of you are saying, well, that's crazy. I, I wouldn't do that. I just tell him no. Well, look at the next verse. Verse 6, it says this. This is where it gets good. Verse 6 says, um, if I can find it, it says, Whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So if you bow, you live. If you don't bow, you die. So you can see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, You know what? I ain't bowing. You can hang that up. Well, if you bow, you live. If you don't bow, you die. Well, in that case, I'll bow on the outside but I'm not bowing on the inside after all I do have to survive I'll just bow on the outside and I'll ask God to forgive me on the inside I will pledge allegiance to God on the inside you could see how it would be easy to rationalize you know 2,000 years later we still or a few thousand years later from this story we still do the same thing we rationalize or we tell ourselves rational lies You know, like your boss asks you to do something that you know is unethical, and you're like, I, I, I can't do that, but I don't want to lose my job. I, I, I just don't want to be unemployed, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to bow on the outside, but I'm not going to bow on the inside. I'm going to ask Jesus to forgive me on the inside, but I'm going to do it on the outside. Let me tell you what you've done. What you've done is you fear unemployment more than you love Jesus. Or, or, or maybe, you know, it's, it's some other problem. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's a problem with peer pressure and you bow on the outside, but not the inside. Or maybe it's an addiction and you're, you're fighting this addiction, but you're telling yourself on the inside, but everything else is all right with me. So God knows my heart. Listen, what I, I need to tell you is that you've put a higher value of worship on some problem that God did not ever want to be in your life in the first place. Huh. You see, when you bow on the outside, the inside becomes an easy target for the enemy. All right, so, so go back to, to verse 7. Pick up verse 7. I want to show you this, and then I'm turning it over to my, my lovely wife. Verse 7 says this, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all the kinds of music in the peoples and the nations, men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, you know, all those musical things, that worships the image of God, and whatever, and, and, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. Can you imagine the pressure that these guys were under? Don't, don't wash this down. Can you imagine the problem? It's 90 foot tall. Anywhere you go in the country, you can see it over the horizon. 
It's there. Stress, problems, difficulties. What, what are we going to do? I'm on this thing, this 90 foot. Oh, there it is again. But look in verse 12. I want you to see this. Verse 12 says, But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, let me show you something. The next few verses, Nebuchadnezzar flips out. Nebuchadnezzar says this. He says in, in verses 13 and following, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you have not bowed down to this image that I have set up? Verse 15, it says, Now when you hear the sound. Okay, again, listen. Think back to Jesus. Here's the enemy coming again. He's relentless. He's coming again. He's coming in another angle. This time he says, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to play the music. Justin's going to play. Taylor Swift's going to play. When they play, you better bow down. And if you don't bow down, I'm going to have you thrown into the furnace. And, and if you don't bow down, the music's going to change. It's going to be... Da, na, 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 na. Hey, 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 on fire. That would have been Taylor Swift. And, and then he would be over here singing, um, Come on, baby, light my fire. So you, you get the picture. So watch this. You've got to see what happens. So, so, so um, verse 16, or at the end of verse 15, watch this. It says, Then what God will be able to rescue from you from my hand? He begins to call into question who God is. I'm more powerful than your God. Thought process going wild. Can you imagine, what, what are they focusing on? What are they focusing on? What are they focusing on? Listen, if they would have chosen to focus upon this 90-foot image, they would have been crushed. But they chose to focus upon God. You see, you can be so consumed by your 90-foot problem that you lose focus of Christ. And here's the deal. You have a choice. You can either focus on how big your problem is or you can focus on how big your God is, but you cannot do both. So the focus is where this thing's at. And the other night, Friday night, Kim, she gave this this set of directives that told us and showed us how to focus on the things that God wants us to focus on. How to be renewed and how to be restored and how to see ourselves the way God sees us when the problems of life are 90 foot tall and staring you in the face. And so today I've asked her to share for a few minutes what those things are. Are you ready to hear? Come on and put your hands together. Mark, um, when he said, let's do this together, um, my first, which he did tell you, was my answer was no. It was a strong no. Um, I told him, I said, Friday night, will that will do... That'll be all that I can get through. And, um, and so I left here Friday or whenever it was. And when I was driving, God said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm saying no. And he said, yeah, I heard that. Um, but what are you doing? And I said, God, I can't do it. And he said, I know you can't, but I can and he said, I've put something in your belly that not only do the women need to hear on Friday night, but this morning on Sunday morning, 
the men as well as the women need to hear it. And so even as early as this morning when I was going over my notes, he was changing things. He said, I need you to say this. I need you to say that. And so when Mark came in there, I said, he's changing everything. Why is he doing that? (laughs) I didn't memorize that. And so I know this morning, first of all, you've witnessed the miracle that I'm standing here. And secondly, that God is using me. So anything that I do is not me, it's all God. And so this morning, um, and if you didn't come Friday night, you missed what God did was amazing. It was a God-filled weekend. And if I can just hear the ladies roar. But by the end of today, the men that missed out and the women that missed out, you too, my friends, will be roaring. Because God has something so amazing in store for you today that he's going to change your life. And then when you walk out, your problems may still be the same, but you're going to have a roar that the enemy will hear. So let me just tell you what roar is. Roar birth, God birthed roar in me many, many months ago, and then he just started showing me what roar means for Christians. And so the first R is radical. And I don't know if I get slides, do I? Oh, okay. Ooh. Wow. Um, but Christ comes to radically change your life. He comes to change your life radically once you accept him. And once you do that, you are never the same. And so in Mark, this, this to me, this scripture excites me. So in Mark 6, 12 and 13, it says... That when they were on the road, they were preaching with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Now, here's the good part. Right and left, they sent the demons packing. So who don't want to send those demons packing? I don't want them around me. I want to send them packing. I want that radical change in my life. And the only way to get that is through Jesus Christ. But he doesn't just come to radically change you so that, oh, my life feels so much better now. I feel good. I can do this. I can do this. He comes to radically change you so that you can radically change the world for the cause of Christ. That's what he radically changes you for. And can I just tell you, like Mark says, I'm going to get all up in your business. Some of you have been silent for too long. You come to church, you sit here, and you take it all in. You take it all in. You talk to God on a daily basis, but you're not doing anything about changing the world for him. He didn't come to radically change your life so that you can sit silently in your cubicle at work or at home and never speak to your neighbor about your church or about Christ, or about what he's doing in your life, because he also does radical things in your life. And those things need to be shared. When Christ does something for you, big or small, share it, because every time you share it, you're giving glory to God. And you're stepping on the devil. Because what he wants you to do is he wants you to remain silent. He doesn't want the world to find out what Christ is all about and what he can do. So you need to stop being silent and allowing the enemy to keep your mouth shut. Because, see, I could have done that. 
I could have done that. I could have said no. I could have said, Mark, you're the preacher. You can do it. But when God said, I don't know what you're doing, you get up there. And so today, I'm allowing God to radically change me and radically use me. And he can do the same through you. You may not ever stand on a stage or a platform, but you know what? This, this right here is amazing, but your field and your platform is so much bigger. You have so more, many opportunities each and every day that you're missing because you're silent. So that's R. Live a radically changed life. And can I tell you, God works in just radical ways because Cody, our middle son, he was going off, as you know, to play football. He was going to Pembroke. We were just, oh, yeah, we're going to have a college game, tailgate. We can do all this fun stuff. The day before Cody was to go to football, he wasn't feeling good. Long story short, it ended in not being cleared to play football, so that was devastating in itself. But then we had series after series after series of tests. Um, and one day we received a call, and I hope that if you've ever gotten this call, you know how it feels. And I pray that you never do. But we got a call from the cancer clinic. And they said, we need for you to come in. We need you to bring your son in. And all I heard was, this is so-and-so from the cancer clinic. And my heart fell to my stomach because I was like, what's happening here, Lord? We had a plan. This is, this is who Cody is. Cody's football. This is the life. This is what he's worked for since seventh grade. What's happening here? They proceeded to tell us that he had a blood condition. He was probably going to have to come home from college. He was uh, going to have to have treatments possibly two, three times a week. Um, so we began to radically change our lives. We were going to just kind of, okay, this is it. This is what we got to do. We got we to do what's right for Cody. We got to get him to these doctors, whatever it takes. And so we go to the appointment, and this is just how good it is and how he radically changes the situation. We get in there. The doctor comes in. Cody had had more blood work done for him. And we walk in, and the doctor says, he looks around, me, Mark, and Cody sitting in there, and he says, why are you here? And, of course, the first reaction was, Cody and Mark looked at me like, why are we here? <laughs> you know, it's always mom's fault, regardless. I mean, I could have been in Africa, and it still would have been my fault that they were there. And so I proceeded to tell the doctor why we're here, uh, like he needed my explanation. And so I proceeded to tell him why we're here. This is what they told us. This is what Cody has. This is... You know, we're ready to do whatever treatments. I mean, when we walked in, they gave Cody his little ID so that every time he came in, he could scan it. I mean, so this was going to be our life. We sat down, the doctor looked at his file, and he said, Cody doesn't have any of that. Cody's blood work is fine. And so medical would like to tell us one thing, but we knew that day that God had radically moved in our situation, and he changed it, and he will do the same for you in your situations. He doesn't just radically change your life, but he will radically change the situations that you are in. So that takes us to O. And O is original. Now, men and women alike, we don't really want to be originals. We want to uh, drive the car that, I don't know, um, I hate to say this, but Tim McGraw, okay, because Mark, <laughs> let me just, that Tim McGraw would drive, or, oh, I'm sorry, I hit my little thing here. Um, or we want to look like uh, the ladies in the magazine, or the men want to look like the ones in Muscle Magazine, or 
we want this haircut, we want this, this outfit, we want this because we saw it somewhere else. So really what we, we want is not to be an original. We want to be carbon copies of what we've seen. And so that's kind of what society wants us to think, that if we don't look like this person or act like that person, then we are an outcast, we're an oddball, whatever the case may be. But I'm here to tell you, and this spoke very strongly to me, and if I get emotional, you just hang with me. Because this message was as much for me, if not every, as it is for you. But God said, you are an original creation. I didn't make you to be like anybody else. And so in Psalms 139.14, it says, you are wonderfully and it says fearfully, and I like to add beautifully made. So when he made you, he knew you before you were even born. And when he saw you and thought about you, of every little detail on you, he saw a beautiful creation. And here is where the enemy would like nothing better to do than to tell you that you are not an original, that you're a mistake, that you're not worthy that you, you just need to sit down and be quiet. Because I can tell you, even as a pastor's wife, you think I don't know what you think, but I am very unstable at times. Art, be quiet. Um, and the staff, wherever they are, be quiet. Um, but, but the enemy loves to get in here. And I let him, when, as soon as I let him get in here, it is on, and he brings it, and he brings it hard. Because when Mark came a pastor, let me just tell you so that you know, when he became a pastor, I sat on the back row, all the way in the back row for months and months and months because the enemy told me, you're, you're a joke. They're going to laugh at you. Who do you think you are? parading up there as the pastor's wife. You sit in the back where you belong. And for months and months and months, I allowed the enemy to tell me that that's where I belong. And then I have a little story that goes along with that, being I'm also adopted. And I've debated on whether to share this, but somebody in here tonight needs to, or this morning needs to know. I was adopted. And so the enemy has used that against me. Because for years and years and years, he told me, You're not even, you weren't even worthy to keep. Okay? He wanted me to believe that. He wanted me to believe I wasn't worthy to keep. Your own biological mother didn't want you. So why would God want you? And I let the enemy probably up until, I'd say in the last, even the last few years, I let him feed that into me. To the point where I believed it. I believed every last word of it. And so in my mind I thought, he's right, he's right. My own biological mother didn't want me. I, I'm a joke as a pastor's wife. So what am I doing? And God stopped me one day so strongly. And I'm one of these that he has to be very strong with me. Like uh, neon sign strong. Because, you know, sometimes you wonder... Is God speaking to me, or is that just those voices in my head talking back to me? Um, and that happens, too, and that's scary. But that's a different story. Um, 
And God stopped me, and he strongly said to me, I knew you. Somebody in here needs to know this. Whether you're adopted or wherever you are in your life, he said to me, and this is for you, I knew you. I created you. I didn't create you to be a mistake. I didn't create you to be a mess up. I created you to be a beautiful creation of mine. I designed you. The enemy didn't design you. I designed you. And so let me tell you this morning, when you look in that mirror and you see all the stuff you don't like, and if you're like me in the morning, it is not pretty. Sometimes after you get ready, it's still not pretty. Um, <laughs> but when you look in that mirror, and this is, if, if you're a man in here and you're like, oh, she's just talking about the outer appearance and the beauty and all that stuff. Men, you struggle just as much as women do. And so when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, I want you to say with a boldness that I am an original I am an original. I am an original. I am created by Christ. He made me. I'm not a mistake. I'm not junk. I am something that needs to be heard. And that's what you need to say when your feet hit the floor. And if you're not doing it, you should be ashamed of yourself because Christ has given you so much. He created you. He created you so that he could radically change you. You're a wonderful and beautiful creation. But then, oh, he doesn't stop there. He's amazing. If you're not amazed by Christ like I am, then you are missing. You are missing out. Because his love, he, he does all, but his love is authentic. And can I tell you what authentic means? Authentic is not the fake. Okay, we have probably had a lot of people in our lives that have done things for us in the name of love. They've loved us, they've cared for us, and then they've hurt us in the name of love. But let me just tell you, when I was looking up the word authentic, okay, and when I read these words to you, I just want you to take them in. So when I looked up the word, these are the words that I found that go with authentic. Genuine, true, reliable, dependable, Faithful, trustworthy, and accurate. Who does that describe? That describes Christ and his love for you. You don't need anything else. His love is authentic. And he wants to take your torn and broken life and heal you with his love. And let me tell you something that's so beautiful that somebody shared with me. And I love it because it says, he wants to come and love you lavishly. Isn't that beautiful? His love is authentic. It's real. And he just wants to pour it out on you. Who wouldn't want that? Who? I mean, there's such peace in his love. His love is amazing. So his love is authentic. So we are radically... He gave me some extra notes over here. And the bad part is, is I can't read what I wrote. So 
Hopefully he said it. Um, but you, look, we search for stuff to fill our emptiness and, and that, that oh, I don't know, that gnawing in your stomach that you feel like every day that you, you have because you're searching and you're searching and you're searching. But it's right there. And all he waits for you to do is whisper his name. You don't have to say this big, beautiful, long, and I can't do the preacher voicey thing that Mark does, but uh, you don't have to say, God. Is that how you do it? <laughs> you don't have to do that. I mean, if you want, but it seems a little dramatic for me. Um <laughs> Does it? Oh, oh, I got it. Okay. He said, my time is running out. Um, but God does. He comes to love you with an authentic love. And all you have to do is whisper his name. That's it. You don't have to have some big prayer. Just whisper his name. And so the last R. Oh, so you turn my page to get me going? Oh, okay. Now he knows how I feel on Sunday morning when I'm sitting there going, but the last R and what we thought was so beautiful, the way God put this weekend a roar together with what Mark was preaching on, is renewed. So he gives you, a, he changes your life radically. You're an original creation, and he loves you with an authentic love. But the last letter is for renewed, and that is for your journey. Because he knew that this life would not be easy. He knew that you would have times when you just couldn't take another step. And I share with the ladies on Friday night, and I'm going to share with you very quickly, that um, Renewed spoke very strongly, and I felt and experienced this, because during this time of the conference, um, I hit a low spot, a very low, dark spot, um, one that I have probably never felt ever, never want to feel again. And so I went to Mark, and I told him, I said, let's cancel this conference. I even went to the extent of pulling all the ladies' contracts that were coming to see if I still had a window of opportunity to cancel because I was just worn out. I was just done. Um, and I just didn't want to do, I just didn't want to do this anymore. I didn't want to do it anymore. And so, um, just have to bear with me. I made God my nine-to-five job. He was my job that I got up and came to, and all I could think about was, okay, we can get to five o'clock. We can go home. Let's do this. All right, we can do this. And so that's what was going on, and I realized I had made God my nine-to-five job and not my passion. And so what God did is he picked me up. He brushed me off. He renewed my mind. And he renewed my spirit. And then... I let the enemy hear me roar because the enemy wanted me to go down. He wanted me to stop. He wanted me not to do it. And so God picked me up and he said, oh, no, no, I've come so that I can renew your mind. And so just like, and this is a beautiful picture to me, it's just like your children, if you have children, and they are discouraged and they come home and they are beside themselves, first thing you do I know I do it, and I know you do it, is you run in, and you, you pick them up, and you hold them, and you tell your child, 
your little boy that he can do it. I don't care what happened. It's, that's just temporary. You can do it. And so you hold them and you love them and you encourage them and you give them all that you've got because they're your babies and you love them and you don't want anything but them to succeed. Well, let me just tell you so that you can see it. Christ comes down and he swoops in and he picks you up and he pulls you in and he looks you and he says, you're mine. You're my baby, and you're going to make it. You're going to do it. You may be tired, you may be worn out, and you maybe can't feel like you can take another step, but that's when I come in. That's when I come in to renew you. That's when I come in to renew you. I reaffirm you. I reassure you. I rescue you. I take you. You don't have to do it. I'll do it. And he holds you, and he moves you, and he keeps you going. Because that's who he is. He radically changes you. You're his original creation. He loves you with an authentic love, and then he renews you daily, minute by minute. So my friends today, let the enemy hear you roar. Don't be silent. Lord have mercy. Good heavens. You, you can be seated for a minute. Didn't I tell you? Good. Listen, and, and, and she's truly a preacher because she, no. you know, she had 10 minutes and she took 20. So, um, I learned from the best. Hey, turn her mic off. So anyway... <laughs> Let me let me finish this up because we've 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 left Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in this jam. But they're okay? roaring. They're in this jam, but they're roaring. But well, watch this. Pick up verses sixteen and following. You got to follow me quick because we're going to just wind this thing down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown, look at this. This is not roar. I don't know what it is. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Mm. Oh, boy. Watch this. Verse 18. But even if he does not, we, will, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Mm. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude with them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. What? Time out. Hold on a second. You've got to think about this with me. Whoever's playing, come back. Seven times hotter than, than usual. But hold on. You know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to be looking at one another, another saying, Well, we just did the right thing. We just stood up for God. We said we didn't bow. We said the right things. We came to church. We're doing the right things. Why would he order seven times hotter? And when is God going to open up the typhoon just dropped down on this furnace? Come on, God. Listen, let me tell you something. Seven times hotter, there's a symbolism there. The, the number for completion in the Bible is seven times. Just hold that thought for a moment. But seven times hotter, here's what you need to understand. The, the situation that you're in may become seven times hotter before you receive breakthrough. You may have to walk in your marital problems until they become seven times hotter before God does restoration. 
Your financial problems may become seven times hotter before God shows up. But the story doesn't stop there. Watch. It says, and pick up in verse 20. It says, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, grab this image, fell into the blazing furnace. story doesn't stop there then King Nebuchadnezzar he leaped to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors weren't weren't, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire but verse 25 said they replied certainly your majesty and then he said well then look I see four men walking around in the fire unbound and unharmed and the fourth looks like the son of God So Nebuchadnezzar is just, uh, he's all lounged, you know, just waiting on the destruction, waiting on the, the screams and the cry for help. He's waiting on them to be ruined, but he jumps to his feet, which kings don't do. They could not show emotion, but he jumped to his feet because he was prepared to see destruction, but he was not prepared to see the move of God. Look, I see four men. Four men. Most theologians believe the fourth man was Jesus. When did Jesus show up? Not before the fire, but during the fire. You see, some of you may be in a circumstance that is seven times hotter. Maybe you need to change your prayer. Think back to Jesus when the devil was bombarding his thoughts. He did not say, God, take me out of this situation. Rather, he kept deferring to God, pointing to God, pointing and talking about God. Here's the deal. Maybe you need to change your prayer and stop asking God to fix this or get you out of this and start asking, can I see Jesus in this? Hello. If you go on and read, it says this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, why don't you come out? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, perfects, prefects, I can't say governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes, oh God, the robes were not even scorched, and there was no smell of fire even on them. So it's like they came out and they were like, you smell pretty good. There, there was no, listen, only God can take you through a fire. And when you get on the other side, it doesn't even look like you've been there. Oh, boy. So then it said, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to God. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and have defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship any god except their god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. Oh my goodness. The enemy 
Nebuchadnezzar in the beginning said, no one can rescue you. But now he's saying no one can save other than God. Then the king promoted. Look at that. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you notice Nebuchadnezzar's change of thought? Can I tell you something? How you deal with the fire will cause others to come to Christ. I wish I had so much more time, but I don't. But it says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love that word promoted. You ought to circle it in your Bible. Promoted. The king promoted. The king promoted. Hold on a second. The king promoted. In other words, what Nebuchadnezzar, the enemy, meant for destruction, Jesus used for promotion. Ooh. I don't have time to take you to another verse. I wish I did. If you want to stay for the second service, I'm going to in the second service. I don't have time in this service. But you look it up when you get home. It's Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 3. God gave it to me this morning. He placed it in my spirit. But you look at it today, but it basically says that God's in the fire with you. So think about this concept with me for a moment. How many were thrown into the fire? How many were seen in the fire? Who was the fourth? How many people came out of the fire? Where's Jesus? He's in the fire. He's in the fire. So when you're going through all hell and your problem is 90 feet tall, know that he is with you, that he is your provider, that he shall supply for all of your needs and that you will come out on the other side and your clothes will not even be singed and you can tell the enemy, you do not have control over my thoughts, but rather I proclaim the goodness of who God is and today I refuse to allow you to have any say-so in my life. Come on somebody and pray.